Thanks, everyone, for coming out tonight. It's good to be with you and uh, look forward to worshiping with you and studying with you tonight. We've uh, gotten a lot of uh, feedback on our uh, website lately about um, our teachings um, that we've put out there. And a lot of folks saying we just need to let everyone live like they want to live and let's all just get along and let's all just love each other and, um, and let live. I want to look at that idea with you tonight and ask, can we do that? Can we just sort of let everyone live like they want to live and let's just ignore differences? Let's just let everyone do their own thing and let's call that the love and unity that God wants. And I want to tell you tonight that we can't do that. We can't have true unity if we all aren't living as we should. And let's look at the scriptures that teach this tonight and let's see if we can't get an understanding of what the scriptures teach us about unity, the unity that God desires for us to have. We're going to start with the passage that Joseph read for us because it is crucial to this discussion where Paul encourages the Corinthians. He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, that sounds good. That's what we want, that we're all be perfectly joined together, that we be unified. That's what we want. That's what we have to have. In fact, Paul demands it, isn't it? That we be perfectly joined together. We want to have harmony between brethren. But notice how this is characterized in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. We are to be speaking the same things. We have to be speaking. We have to be teaching the same things. There can be no divisions. We have to be of the same mind and of the same judgments. Now, these are very high standards that Paul is setting forth here. But what does he really mean by this? Paul sets the bar high for us with this. And I want to tell you that it is attainable. It's not some type of idealistic, utopian type of dream that we could all be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment and that there could be no divisions among us. That, that is not some type of idealistic dream. No, this is a command and an expectation that Paul has for us. And Paul is given this by God, so this is God's expectation for us, that we would be, all be unified and we would all would be, have this unity. We can have unity, despite what some might teach, that it's impossible. We can have unity despite the attitude that many have, is that, well, it's not possible that we could all have this type of unity. I want to tell you that we can have this unity with different personalities, Churches are made up of different personalities. And Paul isn't saying you can be perfectly joined together if you just get the right mix of people together. If you get the right personality types together, you'll have it. But if not, you're in trouble. No, we can have the unity that God wants us to have. It is a command. We need it. We need it desperately. You probably have heard the quote from Benjamin Franklin back in the Revolutionary War period where he said, we must all hang together or we'll all hang separately. Well, in the religious world, in the spiritual battle that we're facing in the world around us today, we must all hang together, or we won't be what we need to be, and we will not be successful in this world that we live in. Unity is not an option. We have to have unity. I want to tell you, though, we can't have unity 
if we're not all living as we should. Unity, verse 21, Jesus is in the garden praying before his betrayal and his ultimate crucifixion. And this passage begins, and Jesus begins his prayer with, Father, the hour has come. Can you imagine if you were in Jesus' shoes, all the things that would be going through your mind as you knew the betrayer is on his way? And that you're going to be hanging from a cross not many hours from now? Can you imagine what would be going on your, on your mind? You would not be worried about trivial things. You wouldn't be worried about who's going to take care of feeding the horses or washing the chariot or whatever people of that day worried about. You'd be worried about important things. And notice what's on Jesus' mind. Jesus prays that his disciples may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus prayed that we would all be one. It was that important to Jesus. At his, in his last hours here on earth, his prayer to God is, Father, I want my disciples to be one. I want them to be unified. Why is it so important? Because this is how others will believe that Jesus is the Christ, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That's why it's important. I want to tell you that the world is watching us. The world wants to know and see what kind of unity we display. It will have an effect on others, the type of attitude we have towards each other and the type of unity that we have. And as I said before, this idea of unity, that we could be perfectly joined together, is not some type of idealistic or utopian dream. No, the first century disciples achieved that goal in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, notice what believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he had possessed were his own, but they had all things in common. They had that unity in the church in Jerusalem. Unity is possible, and it is vitally important. Well, how do we achieve that unity? I want to tell you, we achieve it by having love. We can't have the unity that God wants us to have if we don't love each other like we should. It is only when we have the appropriate love for each other that we can have the unity that we desperately need. It has to be founded on love. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, be all of one mind. Well, there's that idea of having unity, isn't it? Be of one mind. How? Having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. We have to be of one mind, and we do that by having compassion on one another and loving as brethren. You see the close relationship between love and unity? Without the love that we need to have for each other, we will not be able to achieve the unity that Christ desires for us, that Paul commanded that we have. Again, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. We have to have love. Without love, we will not be able to achieve the like-mindedness, the unity that we must have without love. But it goes on. We can't stop there. Many in the religious world would like to stop right there and say we just need to love each other 
And if we'll love each other, we'll have the unity that we need to have. But we can't stop right there. We can't just agree to disagree. We can't say, well, we'll just have unity in diversity. We have to be agreed. And that agreement must start with the idea that we're going to be obedient to the Scriptures. We can't love like we should, that, that love that will bring unity. We can't have that love if we're not obedient to the Scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Notice that our love will require us to live lives of obedience. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Seeing that you have purified your souls in, the obey, in obeying the truth through, through, through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. We have to love one another with a pure heart fervently, but notice how. Notice how. It's not that just this love is just going to be so that we overlook our differences and we have this common belief in Christ and we'll overlook everything else. No. We've purified our souls in obeying the truth. By obeying the truth, by living like we should, that helps us to love our brethren like we should. In fact, in 2 John verses 5 and 6, John puts it this way. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that, it, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Love means we'll walk in the commandments. I want to tell you, brethren, if I don't live like I should, I don't love my brethren like I should. The devil would like to convince us that sin is between us and God. And I can live any way that I please, and it's just going to be between me and God. And sure, it might put my soul in jeopardy, but that's just between me and God. John says, no, it's not just between me and God. When I'm not living like I should, I don't love my family like I should. I don't love my fellow man like I should. And I don't love my brethren like I should. Love, if I'm going to, means that I obey God in every aspect of my life. If I'm going to have the unity that God wants me to have, that will require love, and that love will mandate that I'm obedient to God in every aspect of my life. If I'm not living as I should, I don't love my brethren like I should. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. This obedience then mandates that I speak the truth in love. One of those instructions that God has given me is that I need to be speaking the truth in love. Now there are some who would teach, well, you need to teach just the man and not the plan. Don't get into the specifics. Just talk about Jesus and leave everything else alone. If we'll just talk about Jesus and His love for us and the fact that He came and died for us, and if we'll stop right there, then we can achieve the unity in the religious world that we want. I'll tell you, brethren, that is not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach us that I need to love my brethren, and that demands that I teach the truth in love. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him, unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We are commanded to speak the truth in love. This love demands that I speak the truth. Now, let's put that together with 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, 
reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Well, there's the idea of love again. It tells us here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, that I need to speak the truth, or I need to be preaching with all longsuffering, exhort with all longsuffering. I can tie that back together with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells me that being long-suffering is a characteristic of love. So love is going to mandate that I preach in a way that shows that love. But it is also going to mandate that I preach all doctrine. All doctrine. I'm not going to be at liberty to admit certain teachings of the Scriptures because they might make one uncomfortable or they might be controversial. No, I won't. Then I'm not speaking the truth in love, am I? And so this unity that we want that is so paramount is going to achieve by me having love for my brethren. That love is going to mandate that I'm obedient to the Scriptures in every aspect of my life. And one of those instructions is I'm going to speak the truth. And that truth might be controversial at times. But I'm going to speak that truth. I'm going to do it in a loving manner, but it's going to be prompted and, uh, and driven by the fact that I do love my neighbor and that I want to help my neighbor be what God would have them to be. And if I'll do that, then I will be uh, edifying others in the process. Our love for others will cause us to speak the truth and do it in a way that will edify. That word edify means to build up. We might use that in thinking about building a house or building some other kind of structure. We might say we're edifying or building up that structure. And when we do that, we give a lot of care and a lot of work to doing that because we want that house or that structure to be strong. We want it to be able to withstand the elements. We don't want a thunderstorm to come through and that thing topple over. We build it up so that it is strong. And so it is with our brethren. We want to build up our brethren. And edify one another so that we can be strong and we can withstand the attacks of the devil. In Romans chapter 14, verse 19. In Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. We must be edifying one another. Edifying needs to be a top priority of us. And we need to ask, is it? Do I live in such a way that I show that edifying my brethren is a top priority. It must be. Paul says here that we need to follow after or pursue those things which make for peace, that unity that we want, right? And we need to follow after those things that build up our brethren. We need to make sure that we're doing that, that work for our brethren or their spiritual well-being. And we're not acting in ways that show that we have no regard for our brethren or their spiritual well-being. And let me tell you, there are folks who act that way. I've acted that way in the past. Show no regard for the well-being of my brethren. And we need to be careful about that. We need to follow after the things which cause us to edify others. In Romans chapter 15, verse 2. In that Romans chapter 15, verse 2, Paul puts it this way. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Are we doing that? Are we trying to build each other up? Are we trying to please our neighbor for edification? If we're going to have the unity that we need, 
The unity that we all understand is, is, is expected by Christ and by God. And we need to understand that it's not all about me, but it is about my brethren. I need to be edifying them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19, again, thank, uh, think ye that we excuse ourselves to you. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. That was Paul's attitude. Paul was speaking the truth. Paul was talking especially to the Corinthians about some things that were hard, some things that probably would have been very controversial. Look at all the things that he had to scold them about, things that people in the religious world today would say, well, you just need to overlook that. You need to ignore that. You shouldn't talk about those things. That might make someone uncomfortable. That man who has his father's wife, Let's not talk about that. That would be something that, would, that might make him uncomfortable. He might not like that. He might leave the church if you teach that. No, Paul was doing those things. He was talking about those things. But to have the unity that we need to have, we'll have to have love. That love is going to require that we're obedient. That obedience requires that we speak the truth in love. That speaking of the truth in love, even in things that might make one uncomfortable or might be controversial, will result in others being edified. And as a result of others being edified then, we're going to uh, all be believing the same thing. When we're edified, we'll all believe the same thing. Notice Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul said, you guys be living the way that you should. Be acting the way that you should so that when I hear about what's going on with you, I will hear that you stand fast in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, I want to hear that you guys have unity and not just some type of superficial unity where we say we're agreeing to disagree. Paul wasn't saying that when I hear about the church in Philippi, I want to hear that you have one set of people believing one thing and you have another set of people believing something 180 degrees opposite and that you just sort of whitewash that and say that you have unity because you have this big umbrella of so-called love. No. He says, I want to hear that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul wanted them to be completely unified in their beliefs and their practices. And that will come if we will apply the principle. Well, the verse that we started with. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Believe the same thing. Is it possible that we could all believe the same thing? Is it possible that we could all understand the Bible alike? If you listen to people in the world today, they'll quickly say, no, we can't understand this alike. The scriptures have a different picture, don't they? We can understand this alike if we'll apply the principles that we've talked about tonight. And if we do understand it alike, then that brings us back to the idea of unity, doesn't it? 
we can have the unity that Christ prayed for in the garden. He prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Jesus didn't pray for things that couldn't happen. Jesus and the Father are perfectly unified, aren't they? Jesus and the Father do not disagree about baptism. Jesus and the Father aren't in heaven. And Jesus says, you know, I don't think baptism is required. And God says, yes, I think baptism is required for salvation. And Jesus and the Father say, you know what? I'll tell you, let's just agree to disagree on that. That subject of baptism is too hard. It's too controversial. Would this agree to disagree? No, that doesn't work like that, does it? Jesus and the Father don't agree to disagree on the subject of marriage and divorce and remarriage. They don't agree to disagree. They're perfectly unified. And I want to tell you today, in the religious world today, we can have that same type of unity that unity that is, was so important to Christ that he prayed for it. We can have it if we'll approach the subject with these principles in mind. We've got to have love for one another. That love will prompt and promote us to be obedient in every aspect of our lives. It will promote, prompt us to speak the truth in love. That speaking of the truth in love will edify and build up our brethren. And as a result, it is possible and have that unity that God desires of us. It is possible. Is it easy? No. It's not easy because it requires so much of us. And so uh, us living the way that we should live and having the attitudes we should have. But it is possible if we'll devote ourselves to it. And we close tonight with looking at the 133rd Psalm, verse 1. 133rd Psalm, verse 1. The psalmist expresses the attitude that we should have as well. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How good and how pleasant it is. It is our goal. It must be our, an utmost priority to stand together in unity. Unity that's founded on the truths of God's word. This is the only real unity that we can have. It's when we agree that we will stand on the principles of God's word and not deviate from them. I hope the things that we've talked about tonight have been helpful. Is there any way that we can help you spiritually to be what God would have you to be? As we talked about in our lesson tonight, if you're not living like you should, you're having an impact on your fellow man. This church is not what it should be to the extent that we're not living like we should. Is there something that we can do to help you spiritually tonight? If there is, will you let us know while we stand and sing?